You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, we're beginning uh, a new series of lessons tonight, and we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare, and uh, this is probably, I would say, ranks high up on the list of very misunderstood subjects in the Bible, because a lot of times, that's with a lot of subjects in the Bible, uh, a lot of times uh, things are taken to the extreme and uh, cause great harm in in individuals' lives and then in in groups of people's lives. And so we want to bring a good biblical understanding to this subject. And so I'm I'm excited about this. I want to, and there's pictures of of these on the website, but uh, I am primarily taking this material from a couple of different sources. One of them is the book, The Triumphant Church uh, by Brother Kenneth Hagin. And then the other one is a book by Pastor Rick Renner called Dress to Kill, and uh, which is very, very good. And so we're going to be diving into this, looking at those things, and um, I'll be sharing with you some content from those particular books, uh, but I believe it'll, it'll help you. And again, uh, we want to have a biblical uh, understanding of spiritual warfare, not maybe what uh, we thought it was, or maybe what we were told that it was, but we want to look at what the Word of God says. So let's let's get into this. Let's look at Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16. And so right off the bat, the, the scripture instructs us as believers to deal with this unseen, invisible, these unseen, invisible forces that have been arrayed against us. Now you do need to understand that you have an adversary. Uh, Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And so uh, there is an adversary that is bent on our destruction. He is bent on causing our lives to be destroyed. Now you need to understand uh, it is personal, but not so much in the sense of uh, rather he, he desires to affect God. He hates God. He hates everything about God. And because you are God's child, he hates you because of that very factor. And so, uh, you know, he and his forces have, have been arrayed against us, but the good news is, uh, we win, we overcome in every area. And so we're going to approach it from that standpoint, but look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 17. And notice what Jesus said in in verse 15. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And then turn over with me to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, please. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and look at the 12th verse. We're going to spend later on in, the, in weeks to come 
a, a great deal of time in Ephesians chapter 6. But in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul wrote this. He said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so as believers, we do deal with these things. And uh, let me say this to you right off the bat as well. You never ever as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ need to fear the devil or any demonic activity, uh, those types of things. Do not let fear become a part of your life where his forces and the powers of darkness are concerned. You're not a part of that kingdom. You've been given authority and power over that kingdom through the, and by the name of Jesus. And so uh, just don't allow those types of, of thoughts to, to come into your mind. Now, one of the most primary concerns of Jesus' ministry when he was here in the earth was setting people free from Satan's power. And this should be a concern of ours as well. Now, you do understand Jesus is in heaven. He is not in the earth. The Holy Spirit is in the earth. But Jesus raised up his body, the body of Christ, given us his authority and power and anointing uh, to be able to uh, set people free from the powers of darkness. And so that ought to be something that's a priority. So go over with me to 1 John chapter 3, please. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and look at verse 8. 1 John 3 and verse 8. The apostle John wrote and he said this, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But for this purpose... <laughs> The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came into the earth. Part of what he accomplished, not only in his earthly ministry, but in his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, was to destroy the power and the works of the devil in the lives of people. And so, again, what he wants to do is he wants to use his body to be able to facilitate that and accomplish that. And uh, one thing that, you, that, that I want you to understand, and we're going to emphasize this a lot in this particular series, and, and, and that is this, that um, when, you go, when you approach spiritual warfare, always approach it from the position that you already have the victory, you're not trying to get the victory, okay? Approach it from the standpoint that you already have the victory, not that you're trying to get the victory. And I think this has been an issue in a lot of teaching on spiritual warfare in the past is that, uh, yes, we do warfare with the powers of darkness and so forth, but we're not trying to win a fight we're enforcing a victory that has already been won. And so that's what we're there for, all right? Now, spiritual warfare can be divided up into three different aspects. 
And these are in order of priority. Okay, so uh, there are actually three different aspects to spiritual warfare. Number one, taking control of your mind. Taking control of your mind. Number two, crucifying your flesh. And then number three, dealing with the enemy or dealing with the devil. So again, taking control of your mind, crucifying the flesh, and then lastly, dealing with the devil. Now somebody says, well, why are they in that order? Well, the Bible is clear in that it teaches us if we will renew our minds to the word of God and do what the Bible says concerning our minds, and then if we will learn to crucify our flesh, then dealing with the devil will become very easy, okay? in uh, in a lot less hard than we make it out to be. And a lot of times, the reason that we have such a difficult time with the enemy is because we haven't renewed our minds and we haven't crucified or put to death our flesh, okay? So the truth of the matter is the devil's attacks against our lives would not work if our flesh does not cooperate, okay? You know, it's just a fact. So if, if you can gain through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit control over your flesh and renew your mind to the word of God, then the devil's attacks against you will not be successful, okay? So let's, let's look at some verses. I'll tell you what, I'll just read these to you. You make reference or write the references down rather, Colossians chapter three and verse five. Colossians chapter three and verse five says this, therefore put to death your members, talking about the parts of your flesh, which are on the earth. And then it describes what the fruit of those things, the activities of those things are. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now I want you to, Pay close attention to what he says. Therefore, you put to death those things. And a lot of people are waiting for God to put to death those things. And I'm telling you, it is our responsibility to deal with our flesh. Now, thank God we've been given the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with those things. But you are the one that has to initiate uh, dealing with those areas. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul said this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So again, the responsibility for dealing with that is on us Jesus gave us the power. He gave us the ability, uh, put his spirit on the inside of us, but it is still our responsibility to deal with the flesh. Romans chapter six and verse seven, just a few verses down from what I just read to you, says this, for he who has died, talking about the crucified the flesh, has been freed from sin. You know, if and, and just think about it this way. The Bible says that we crucify our flesh. We put to death our flesh. And, uh, you know, I have, I have been to many funerals over my life. 
And uh, I have never heard of a person who was dead got involved in sin. Matter of fact, I've never heard of a person who's dead get involved in anything here in the earth because that body no longer has control over them, no longer dictates what they do. And so really the posture we have to take as believers is that, like the scripture says, we have to put to death our flesh and therefore take away its power and ability to be able to control us. Now, in Rick Renner's book, again, Dress to Kill, I'm going to read a little bit to you from the book. He says this, a person can scream at the devil all day long, but if that person has willfully permitted some area of his mind to go unchecked and unguarded, if he is aware of sin but has not been willing to deal with it, he has opened the door for an attack on himself. In that case, all his prayers against the devil will be to no avail because his real enemy is not the devil. Rather, it is his own carnal mind and flesh which must be submitted to the control of the Holy Spirit in order to eradicate these attacks. If people only focus on the devil as they pursue the subject of spiritual warfare and, to, and fail to consider other equally as important areas, their emphasis on spiritual warfare can and will be very damaging to them. Okay, so it's very, very important to understand that in spiritual warfare is not about just going after the devil. That is way down the list. If, again, if you address your mind, renewing your mind to the word of God, and then you address your flesh, you're going to find that your dealings with the devil will become very insignificant because what you're doing is you're shutting the door closing the door on his access to your life, okay? So again, as I mentioned to you earlier, we must always remember that the real battle with Satan was won at the cross and the resurrection by Jesus Christ, okay? So the, the, the battle with the devil has already been won. It was won at the cross and it was won in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we, we handle and we approach spiritual warfare from a place of victory and not defeat trying to get the victory. And I think what we do is we liken spiritual warfare maybe to what we see in natural warfare. You know, I, I, it seems like, as many of you may be aware, with the war in Ukraine between Russia and the Ukrainians right now, it, it seems like, you know, it goes back and forth all the time. You'll hear in the news how you know, the Russians will gain the upper hand. And then you'll hear in the news how the Ukrainians are gaining the upper hand and, and so forth. And a lot of times uh, we approach spiritual warfare that way where uh, God and the devil are on equal playing field and the spiritual warfare is all about this fight between God and the devil. That is not it at all. A more accurate picture is that God has already defeated his enemy Jesus has already defeated the adversary, and our responsibility is to occupy until Jesus comes. You know, if again, me being a history nut, uh, you know, I'm big on World War II history and and so forth, and 
And uh, what you'll find in, in particularly in World War II history is in especially in the war in, in the Pacific, that once the Japanese were defeated in the War of the Pacific, our forces went in to occupy and enforce that victory. And we did the same thing in Europe as well. Once the Germans and, and uh, the Axis powers surrendered, then our forces went in and we enforced that victory. And that is what we are doing as the body of Christ. We are enforcing the victory that Jesus has already won. We are enforcing the victory that he has already accomplished. Okay? So go with me to 1 John again, chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And so based on what I just said to you, 1 John 4, 4, you're probably familiar with this verse. It says this, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Notice it says that we have already overcome the world or the powers of darkness because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Back up with me to the book of Colossians, please. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And look at verse, verses 11 and 12. Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12, says this, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You were buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, having disarmed principalities and powers. Notice he's already done it. He's already disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The Greek language uh, of verse 15 says this, he completely stripped principalities and powers and left them utterly naked with nothing left at their disposal to retaliate. Jesus boldly, confidently, and loudly exposed and displayed this now defunct foe to heaven's hosts. Okay? So again, I, I want us to get this in our consciousness that the devil has already been defeated. Now, he doesn't want you to know that and understand that, and much less walk in it. Because if, you, if we as the body of Christ and as believers, we begin to understand the fullness of what was accomplished through what Jesus did for us, then the, the devil's ability to affect our lives and impact and influence our lives will come to an end, and then we will be able to gain the upper hand and enforce that victory here in the earth. Okay, so uh, again, it's very, very important. He does not want the body of Christ, meaning he, the devil, does not want the body of Christ to understand what Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. He wants it to remain as status quo so that he can continue to do what he has already done or always done in the earth. Okay, 
So again, as I said to you, we must approach spiritual warfare from a place of already obtained victory instead of trying to get the victory. And that is huge, um, you know, in every area of your life. You know, let's, let's take another area. Let's, let's take healing, for instance. Jesus already bought and paid for your healing. So instead of trying to approach the subject of healing as though you are a sick person trying to get well, look at yourself as a person who has been healed by the stripes of Jesus and the devil wants to keep you sick. It's an entirely different uh, standpoint, an entirely different perspective. You know, another way to look at it, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse. Galatians 3.13 says, and so what you need to understand is, is uh, the curse has been broken off of you. The curse of the law has been broken off of you. But the devil does not want you to understand that. And so what he's endeavoring to do is to get you to operate as somebody who is trying to believe God to get the curse off of you. Well, Jesus already accomplished that. And what you need to understand is the, the devil is trying to keep you under the curse, broke, sick, in death, and, and walking in all those aspects of the curse instead of you being in a position where you are already redeemed from those things, okay? So we must understand the sound teachings of the Bible where spiritual warfare are concerned, okay? So it's very, very important. You know, let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about, uh, some erroneous teaching that has been in the past. And, and uh, you know, that because the devil is called the prince of the power of the air, now, and this is gonna sound funny to you, but it's, the, it's true, this has happened that because the devil is referred to as the principality of the air, there, are, there were people that thought that they had to go to the highest floors of a building and have prayer meetings so that they could overcome the principal of the principality of the air. In other words, be higher than he was or charter an airplane and be in the air so that they can overcome him. And you know, that sounds silly to us, but that's how far people's thinking gets when they, when they look at these things in unbiblical ways. Okay. So, you know, if, if this is, if this is the way you handle spiritual warfare, you know, that you have to approach the devil from a high place. And, you know, we, listen, we've all sung the songs that we're going up to the high places to tear the devil's kingdom down and so forth and so on. Well, if that's necessary, then Jesus never did overcome the devil because Jesus never got onto an airplane. He never went up to a high floor of a skyscraper. Uh, so, you know, we can just rip out a good portion of the New Testament because all of the gospels are now null and void. And, and you know, no, we know that that's not true, that somehow Jesus was able to fully carry out his earthly ministry and fulfill the will of God and exercise his dominion and authority over the powers of darkness, walking flat-footed on the earth and walking as a man anointed by God and doing what he knew to do. Okay, so if it's true for Jesus, the same thing is true for us. 
We don't have to go up anywhere, spiritually, figuratively, or whatever, and tear the devil's kingdom down. You're not even part of that kingdom. You're not even in that kingdom. And matter of fact, Jesus has already torn that kingdom down. Okay? So what we have to do is, again, we have to occupy and enforce that victory. Okay? So just make a note of this verse, Hosea 4, 6. Hosea 4, 6 says this, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so really what causes these types of erroneous teaching, what causes people to think that they have to have prayer meetings and you got to yell in tongues at the top of your voice to overcome the devil and to break his power in people's lives and so forth and so on. That's all ignorance of the word of God and people's lives are destroyed because of ignorance of God's word. Okay. So what this is what we're about in this particular study. We're going to gain some revelation insight and some knowledge to these truths so that we can, uh, we can do what God wants us to do. And, and you know, when you think about Jesus ministry, you know, I, I can't recall a single time where Jesus got upset or agitated or worried or disturbed by anything that the devil did in trying to either attack his ministry or stop his ministry, or when he would minister to someone who was demon-possessed or something like that, you, you never saw it. So there is something that Jesus knew that we need to gain so that we can operate the same way, okay? So now here's something you need to understand, all right? And I know I, I'm going to say this, and... Um, and, and just take it at face value, okay? The challenges that we face today spiritually are really no different or no greater than those of preceding generations of believers. There is nothing new under the sun, okay? And so if you study the pagan culture of the Greeks and the Romans and the early church, you will find that things back then were even far more worse than they are right now. Now, I'm not saying we need to be oblivious to what's going on in the world today and pretend like it's euphoric and idyllic and all that type of thing, but, but please understand that what we see in the world today is nothing new. Let me read to you a little bit from, again, Rick Renner's book, Address, Address to Kill, and let me just uh, relate this to you. And what I'm going to read to you is based on things that happened close to 2,000 years ago, right after the resurrection of Christ. And so the beginning of the church age. And so he says this, the, the opposition of uh, the pagan Roman society was so furious that Christians were regularly attacked and physically assaulted by witches, astrologers, and mediums. In fact, it was in this type of circumstance that Timothy, Paul's disciple and the pastor of the Ephesian church was brutally murdered. Intense hatred for Christians grew rapidly under the reign of the emperor Nero. Believers were burned to death at the Circus Maximus in Rome. They were eaten alive by wild beasts in the Colosseum. Many of you have seen pictures of the Colosseum. 
that's the one I'm referring to, they were publicly mutilated to death by gladiators in the amphitheaters. And in fact, the gruesome, terrible, and grotesque deaths of Christians provided the Romans with the most popular form of entertainment of that time. The violent deaths of believers became so popular with the Romans that the seating capacity of the Colosseum was expanded. They had to add to it. The expansion was necessary in order to accommodate the massive crowds that would assemble for an entire afternoon of Christian martyrdom. Wild beasts would be released into a series of tunnel-like passages. Then Christians were placed into these same passages to be hunted down by ferocious wild animals. They were chased by these hungry beasts until caught. Then they were eaten alive before tens of thousands of cheering people. Now, folks, this isn't something that happened last week. This is something that happened 2,000 years ago. At first, such murderous events only took place once a year, usually during the month of January as a dedication to the gods. However, during the demented rule of Nero, the number of such afternoons of entertainment at the Colosseum increased greatly. Nero used nearly every excuse he could come up with to see additional Christians die in the Colosseum, whether it was his birthday, the anniversary of his becoming emperor, the anniversary of his predecessor's birthdays, his mother's birthday, a special religious day, or a simple, normal Roman holiday. Any of these were enough reason for Nero to fill the Colosseum to the brim with spectators who would sit on the edge of their seats to watch Christians die in the Colosseum. Christians, get this, Christians were considered of so little worth in the Roman world that when the construction of the Appian Way, which was a road leading from Rome to southern Italy, required road workers to labor into the night, the dead bodies of martyred Christians were strung on poles along the road and set on fire to serve as huge lanterns by which the road workers would continue working and building. Demonic activity in Rome was rampant. All Roman emperors from this period consulted astrologers and occult priests for important decisions. These high-ranking mediums were considered to be so vital to the fulfillment of governmental affairs that they actually held official positions in the administration and were held in the highest esteem by the reigning emperor. In addition to these high-ranking occult spiritualists who held especially prominent positions in the government, hundreds of other lower-class occult priests were, in the, were on the payroll of Rome and served as priests for the official religion of Rome. There is no doubt that these official governmental witches, astrologers, soothsayers, and mediums must have influenced Nero's sentiments about God-fearing believers. There were also other brands of religion beside the official religion of Rome. The city of Pergamus, the most famous of all Asian cities and the official seat of the proconsul of Rome, was a city filled with idolatry and paganism. High upon a mountaintop above the city of Pergamus sat a great altar to the goddess Athena. Directly in front of this temple to Athena was yet another idolatrous statue, a huge polished marble altar built in the shape of a giant throne. It protruded out on a ledge that was visible to the entire city and glistened in the sunlight every afternoon. And this was the altar of the Greek god Zeus. For every section of Pergamus, citizens could look upward and see the smoke of burning incense billowing out into the sky from this demonic altar. This is the reason Jesus told 
the Pergamagene believers, I know your works and where you dwell, even where Satan's seat is. If you remember in the book of Revelation in chapter 2 and verse 13, Jesus referred to the believers in Pergamos and made that particular statement. And so uh, let me skip down. Uh, many, you know, and, and listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't be upset about these things, but, you know, we're seeing in, in, in news sources and media about where situations like drag queens are going in and teaching classes in public libraries to small children and, and things like that. That is nothing new. Um, as for the morality of Rome, there was none, he says. Even non-Christian historians and scholars agree that Nero carried on an active homosexual relationship with many of the men who were close to the imperial throne. Bisexuality was completely acceptable by the standard, standards of the day, even though Nero was himself a married man when he was convorting with men. Like the entertainment industry today, the theater was blatantly sensuous and sexual, full of vulgarities and lewdness. And so, again, you see the culture of the day, but here's my point in saying all this. In, in that environment, Satan tried to destroy the church of Jesus Christ at its inception, at the beginning. And it's it is certain that he will try to attack and victimize the church as we approach the coming of the Lord. The devil knows that if he is going to do damage to the plan of God, this is, then this is his last opportunity and he must work quickly. Satan, now here's what I wanted to get to. Satan tried to destroy the church, but the church survived, thrived, and greatly expanded in spite of all of those things. So you know, what we can't do in today's culture is to grow fearful, shut down, and to um, withdraw, if you will, from being who we are as believers and, and, and think that the devil is going to be able to gain the upper hand in what's going on. He is not going to be able to gain the upper hand. He is not ever, ever, ever going to be able to triumph against the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and against the power of God. So just as the early church arose in the power of the Spirit to meet the challenge that they were dealt with back then, so will we, all right? The body of Christ today will be triumphant. Now, get it out of your mind that, um, that when the prior to and leading up to the rapture of the church, that things are going to get so bad that the church is going to slip into obscurity and darkness and uh, we'll, we will just kind of disappear and nobody will care. Okay, mm -hmm. That's not going to be the case at all. The scripture says that Jesus is coming back for a church, a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. I'm of the opinion that it will... Well, Jesus even said it himself. He said, just as it was in the days of Noah, where people were going about in their day-to-day -day activities, when the floods came, 
so it will be when he comes again. Okay. What am I saying is that we are not going to go out in a whisper. We're going to go out gloriously. So just know that. Okay. Take, take that into your heart and hang on to it. Okay. So no evil force has ever prevailed over the power of God or the people of God. And they never will never, ever, ever. Okay. Now, let's, let's, let's dive into this a little bit further. What's interesting is in the new Testament, the words war and warfare are only used five times in the entire new Testament. Not once were they used in, in the gospels in Jesus ministry. You never heard about spiritual warfare. You never heard about the term spiritual battle or war in the gospels at all. And as I said, these words are used minimally in the new Testament. Why? Because of the position that we are in as believers. Okay. What you do read in the Bible multiple times is victory, conquering, triumphing, winning, those types of things. Okay. Um, notice in second Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to study these verses in depth later on, but second Corinthians chapter 10 and look at verses three through five, second Corinthians chapter 10 verses three through five. The scripture says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, this is one, one of the times where that word appears, are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations and, or arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, you all are sharp people. I want somebody to tell me how many times in those three verses the devil is mentioned. No. Absolutely not. Not once. Not one time. Okay. Um, go with me to 1 Timothy, please. But yet we're talking about warfare. In the, those verses, in 2 Corinthians 10, it refers to warfare. Okay. So, but yet the devil's not mentioned. So apparently there's an aspect to this that we haven't gathered. Okay. First Timothy chapter one and verse 18. This is another example where this particular verse is used. Okay. Paul tells Timothy in first Timothy one 18, this charge I commit to you, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, in this verse, Paul is telling Timothy to remain loyal to the call of God and fight the good fight of faith. But again, the devil is not mentioned in this. You're there in uh, 1 Timothy. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let's look at verses 3 through 5. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, for no one engaged in warfare entangled himself, entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So again, verse 4 mentions warfare, but again, in conjunction with that, there is no mention of the devil. Okay? Now, again, I'm not implying that we do not contend with our adversary, but I'm trying to de-emphasize the emphasis that in the past, in the body of Christ, um, has been put on this humongous adversary that we have called the devil. And that we have to go to battle with him and we have to wage this warfare with him. And that um, is really not what the Bible teaches in the New Testament. Again, because he is a worthy adversary, but he's already been defeated. He's already been overcome by the Lord Jesus Christ. James 4. Here's another example of where these words appear. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 1. James asked a question. He said, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Now again, he's talking about a battle that takes place in our flesh or with our flesh. And so there is a warfare that we're going to have to contend against our flesh, all right, that we, and, and what, what has happened is, is we've misplaced our warfare. We've put all our emphasis on warring with the devil, and we've let our flesh have and do whatever it wants. We've, we've put <laughs> emphasis on war and warfare with the devil and not done anything to renew our minds to the Word of God. And so again, as I told you, uh, Warfare, spiritual warfare starts first in renewing your mind, dealing with your flesh, and then if you have to deal with the devil, then you deal with the devil. But don't deal with the devil first and not do anything about your mind and your flesh, okay? So in light of what we just looked at, it is abundantly clear that the New Testament usage of the words war and warfare primarily has to do with conquering the flesh and taking charge of our minds. Yes, the devil may attack the mind and he may attempt to energize the flesh to work against us. However, if we will keep our minds and our flesh under the control of the Holy Spirit, most of the spiritual warfare we encounter in life will have already been settled. Okay, um, huge. In light of this, uh, let's see. Well, let's talk about how real warfare begins. How, how does this really begin? Okay. Most believers who have fallen, and I'm talking about ministers and believers, regular believers, um, and, and many believers who have fallen in recent times would not have fallen if they had not given the devil some kind of foothold 
in their mind. You know, think about this, y'all. Um, when somebody falls into sin, you know, that's really a misnomer. You don't fall into sin like you were, like you would trip and fall into a hole. All right. Sin doesn't just come along and all of a sudden, boom, it hits you upside the head. No, we get into sin because we first think about it and we entertain it in our thinking. Okay. So, you know, I know what a lot of people do is they would say, well, you know, the devil had been working hard, you know, on so-and-so. And so, you know, he backslid, he fell into sin. Well, that's not exactly accurate. Okay. Yes, the devil might have orchestrated some circumstances to plant thoughts into that person's mind, but if that person had been dealing with their mind according to the Word of God, and listen, I'll, I, you know, I'm using myself as an example here. When I have gotten into trouble and I have gotten into sin, it's because I thought about it first and entertained it long enough to where I was willing to give in to it. In other words, I'm, I'm not just minding my own business one day and all of a sudden the devil comes and beats me upside the head with sin like a baseball bat. It doesn't happen that way, okay? You know, somebody doesn't get caught up in adultery because they, uh, you know, fell into it. No, you thought about it and you entertained it and you gave in to it, all right? So let me give you some, some things to, to ponder as we begin to wrap this up for this week, okay? So demonic spirits have absolutely no power to bring about destruction unless they first find an open door into a person's mind. Let me say that again. Demon spirits have absolutely no power to bring about destruction unless they can find an open door into a person's mind. Okay? Now, God knows that, don't you think? Don't you think God's smarter than the devil? And don't you think God is always one step ahead of him? All right? So what, what am I saying? Well, God sent the Holy Spirit to live in us to help us deal with those areas of weakness where we are vulnerable to attack. In, in other words, if... if and by the way, let me say this to you. We, we talked a little bit about this Sunday. You need to understand something. The devil is not even in the same class with God. He is so far below God. First of all, he is a fallen angel, angelic being. Okay, so he's not even in the same class as God. He's not even in the same class you are, all right? He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He doesn't know everything and he's not all powerful. So then somebody says, well, then how can he know what to do? If he doesn't know everything, how can he know what to do in order to bring an attack in my life? Well, mm -hmm. here's the way that he, uh, and when I say he, I'm including him and all of his teammates. All right. Demon, demon spirits and so forth. The only way that they can know how to get at you is to observe your life, watch you, and listen to what you say. Two things. They watch your activity and they listen to what you say. 
And when you and I, through our activity and behavior and what we say, display a weakness, they, they then are made aware of that area of vulnerability. And then they will take advantage of that area and work on it against you. But they cannot read your mind. They do not know what you're thinking. They don't know what's going on in your heart. Only God knows that. First Samuel chapter 16 tells us that. For man looks on the outside, but God, only God is the one that can look in your heart. God is the only one that knows what's going on in your head. The devil does not know what's going on in your mind unless you tell him. And this is why sometimes, you know, um, I heard a minister say this. Sometimes we need to learn the vocabulary of silence. And what do I mean by that? When you're under pressure and things are going on in your life, learn to keep your mouth shut where your problems are concerned. Okay? Speak the word only. Speak what God has already said, but don't rehearse your problems. Now, listen, I'm not telling you if you need to talk to someone, you can't talk to someone. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying to you is that understand that the enemy, our adversary, cannot attack you in an area that you do not display weakness. And the only way that he can understand or they can figure out where that is is if you display it in your behavior or you talk about it. So, you know, let me give you an example. You know, I personally have never been tempted with drugs. I, I, I've never been tempted with drugs. And, and matter of fact, I've never been tempted with alcohol. And here's why. Because I don't display a weakness in that area. Okay? And so, therefore, the, the devil doesn't parade drug dealers by me because he knows that that's not going to have any impact on my life. I've never displayed a weakness in that area. Um, you know, the devil never offers me at, at, at events that I'm at or something like that an opportunity to, become, to get drunk on alcohol. Why? Because I've never displayed a weakness in that area. Now, there are other areas of my life where in my flesh I have displayed weaknesses, and he does present temptations in that area, just like he does you. But um, if you will learn by renewing your mind to the Word of God how to change your behavior, and you can do that, then uh, you shut the door on that area of weakness, and they no longer have an inroad in that particular area of your life, okay? So I want us to understand that. They have to find an open door. They have to find an access point into your life, okay? Now they cannot destroy uh, without an open door into your soul. Now you remember, I have described your soul to you based on what the word teaches, as your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. All three of those work together and they're connected. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. So think about this. If, the, if, if, if I wanted to get you to choose something, where am I going to begin to work? Where, where am I going to try and influence you? The, I'm going to try and influence you 
in your mind or your emotions, because those two things are what shape your will, what you choose. So if I want you to do something, if I want you to uh, give in to something or to do something that I want you to do, then if I am your, your enemy, then I'm going to have to work on how you think and how you feel. And so that is exactly what the devil does. He works on our thinking and he works on our emotions. Now those two things are connected, but if he can gain control in one of those areas, then he can begin to influence what you choose to do and what you will to do. All right. So, um, I'm going to say this to you, regardless of how many demon spirits have been assigned to destroy you or destroy a believer, that person must cooperate with the enemy's suggestions before that temptation can overtake him and ruin his witness. Again, going back to what I said earlier, you know, when we, we've heard about ministers that have had moral failures, okay? Again, the reason that ministers have had moral failures is because they have yielded to the suggestions that were presented to them in the form of temptations, and they eventually chose to give in to those temptations and therefore cause their failure. All right. So I'm, 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 what I'm endeavoring to do with this is to pull the veil back so we can begin to understand how some of these things work in our lives. You don't just wake up one day in, in, in a moral failure. It's a process that happens over time. Okay. And it, and it happens as the enemy is able to gain access into our lives. Okay. Let me, let me give you some examples real quick uh, as we wrap up. All right. Um, what we, what we fail to do is take responsibility sometimes for our own lives. Okay. And so what we do is we shift the blame over to the devil. You know, I'm old enough to remember, uh, the comedian Flip Wilson, who was on TV many, many years ago. And, uh, he used to have a character that he would portray named Geraldine and Geraldine had a saying that she would do when she would mess up and she would say, the devil made me do it. Okay. And what has happened, you know, it was all fun and, and that type of thing. But what we have done as believers is we have tried to shift all the blame over to the devil and not taking any responsibility for ourselves. Okay. Let me give you a couple of examples. You can scream at the devil and that the devil is after your money until you are blue in the face. But if you have failed to balance your checkbook or are irresponsible with your money or failed to put together a budget, then you are vulnerable for financial attack. But yet we'll be the first ones to say, well, you know, the devil's been working hard in my finances, you know, and, and so forth and so on. No, I guarantee you somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit dealt with you to shore up that area of your life and to get yourself together in that area. Okay. Um, you can declare that the enemy is attempting to afflict you with sickness, but if you abuse your body 
by not eating right or getting rest or exercising, then you've opened yourself for, for attack in your physical body. But again, we're the first ones to say, you know, the devil is the one. You can say that your marriage is under attack from the devil, but if you speak harshly to your spouse, never spend any time with them, or have not made your marriage a priority in your life, you've thrown the door wide open for the enemy to be able to gain access into that area of your life. And so sometimes there are genuine attacks where the enemy catches us off guard, but those are fewer and far between than we like to admit. Okay. So what I'm wanting us to see is that there are things that God teaches us in his word and leads us to do by the Holy Spirit that if we will obey and we will do what the word says, we can fortify our lives, strengthen our lives against a lot of what the enemy wants to bring to bear in our lives, these attacks, if you will, uh, and we'll see that that they happen fewer and fewer and fewer. Okay, now listen, as long as we're in this world, Jesus said we're going to deal with things. We're going to deal with trouble, all right? But listen, don't try and bring trouble on yourself. Don't open the door and invite trouble to come in. It's one thing when you're navigating through life and you encounter stuff, it's a whole different thing uh, when you ride down the road at 70 miles an hour with no roof on your car, the doors wide open, no seat belt, nothing, and then you can't understand why you get in an accident, okay? And I'm using that as an illustration, but, but it's, it's the way that a lot of us operate our lives, and then we can't understand why things are happening in our lives, okay? So, uh, we're going to find out, and we're going to dive into these things, and we're going to get into it, and I promise you, it's going to help you, uh, you know, and, and I'm, I'm excited about this because I believe it's going to help all of us, my, myself included. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.